It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. And, and, and if you haven't heard the show, hey, welcome aboard. Now, this show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The second part of the show, we talk about a variety of different subjects, nostalgia, politics, history, religion. We're going to be talking a little bit about politics and religion with our priest friend from the Middle East, Father Paul. In the meanwhile, again, the first part of the show is about estate planning, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, and that's very important now, especially if you read some of the newspaper stories about how slow things are in probate. And elder law, we're trying to save assets from nursing home bills. And to help us today, we, we have one of our attorneys, Justin Daly. Well, welcome to the show, Justin. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, my wife just mentioned your beard there is turning kind of gray. So I guess you're getting older. You're not a young kid anymore. No, not as young as I used to be. <laughs> is this decade coming up? <laughs> it is. I'll be 40 in March. <laughs> All right. So, you know, we were just talking before we got on the air. You know, some of the Medicaid rules are changing very, very soon, and we're not sure what's going to happen. They, the, the old rules may get extended because... Frankly, New York State doesn't know what it's doing, and I, I, you can't fully blame it because the the combination change in governor, uh, COVID, people are not working from the offices or whatever. So there is some confusion about it. But we're talking is when is the right time to plan? And Justin, what would you say? It's just it's it's urgency. It's uh it's you need to do it yesterday. I mean, that's really the big thing, and that's one of the big issues, not only to get a Medicaid application in, but just to be prepared in case uh, that life event happens where a parent needs help. Um, the scariest thing is when somebody walks into our office and they don't have the proper planning tools, uh, meaning a will, power of attorney especially. I mean, that's really the most important document. Uh, when a parent takes sick, uh, there are things that you just can't sign on their behalf, and spouses can't sign either. So it's not just the, the urgency of getting a Medicaid application in because it takes a couple months to get the services, but it's also just having those documents in order. Yeah, and, and I mean, this, I, this is, seems to be a good part of conversations every day of the week. Why do I need a PAV attorney? All my bank accounts are joint with my spouse or joint with my son, my daughter, whatever. So why do I need a PAV attorney? Well, one of the reasons you need a PAV attorney is that if you are going to apply for home care Medicaid and, and if the person that you're dealing with is not mentally competent to sign documents, Medicaid likes nothing better in some cases to say, well, you don't have a PAV attorney, you can't set up a pool trust, um, you don't have the authority in your PAV attorney to set up a pool trust. And, and, here's, and, and one of the problems that happens, some people go to general practice lawyers, they go, no offense, you know, union 
lawyers and and what's some of the problems if somebody goes to a union lawyer some of the well just like you were speaking about before the the, the proper authorizations within the document don't exist uh, you get a you get a difficult social worker who just wants to reject it at Medicaid or Department of Social Services um, and then banks banks are the big one because you know nowadays everybody's hypersensitive to wh whether it be fraud or whatever the situations are these banks back offices are becoming more and more difficult and they're not allowing us to utilize these power of attorneys so having a good power of attorney which we can step in and effectively threaten those bank managers sometimes in their back office if we don't have the right document we can't get the job done um, and, and, you know, another thing that that's, uh, you know, going on or talking about the idea of having joint accounts, things like that. I mean, sadly enough, you know, husband and wife, they take sick at the same time. Accounts are joint. We can't help either of them. You know, it's so important for parents to to give up that authority or at least allow the the, the child to be able to step in and help out. It's just so important. Yeah, and for those of you listening at home, you know, maybe turn off your cell phones. Uh, like my wife right here just had her cell phone go on oh, no. in, in the studio with the light. The light's I'm not sorry. even on. The light's I'm not sorry. even on. The light's not even on for the taping oh, in progress. Okay. Thanks. I'm sorry. And so there, there are two things, you know, that we're, we're talking about. One is to be prepared for the future and have the proper documents signed. The other thing is the Medicaid rules are well, we're going to say they are changing. Again, there's some confusion whether they're going to give an extension or not, which they have done in the past. But in theory, the Medicaid rules are changing on January 1st, which means if you're going to apply, since there's a one-month look-back in effect, if you're going to apply for home care Medicaid, community Medicaid, uh, the rules change January 1st. Which, If you want to apply before January 1st, you want to get your papers in order by November 30th because there's a one-month look-back period, which takes us through the month of December. Now, what changes? Well, right now, if you want to apply for home care Medicaid, there's no effective look-back period. You go to the first day of the month following the transfer. So if you do your transfers at the beginning of November, you can apply for home care Medicaid one month after November 30th, which gets you into January 1st. And, you know, it's very, very important, like if you're borderline and you really need home care and you're not sure whether you want to go ahead with it or not, now's the time to do it because once we get past January 1st, there's going to be a 30-month look-back period. So let's say if you give away ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, you know, in the month of December, January, you've got a look-back period. Now, how long is the look-back period going to be? It depends how much you give away, but if you gave away hundred grand, two hundred grand. Um, and, and it's really that much in today's world. There could be, or you have a house that's worth five hundred or six hundred thousand dollars. And of course, today in New York City, that's a moderately priced house. You know, very few houses are worth less than five or six hundred thousand dollars. You have a full thirty-month look-back period. You can't apply for home care Medicaid for thirty months. So, you know, if, if you're borderline and thinking about it, now's the time to think about it. But here's the thing: just planning in general. Whether you say, well, I'm not going to need home care Medicaid for 30 months, that's okay, but get the clock started if you want. And not only that, have the proper document signed. I can't, I can't express how important it is in family matters to have the right power of attorney. And, and the standard form you print off the Internet, the standard form you get usually, and I, I don't want to lump everybody into one basket, but the standard form that you get from general practice lawyers or, you know, 
lawyers with some of the union plans, the standard power of attorney just does not cut it. Um, you go to apply for home care Medicaid, and you need a pooled income trust. And what's a pooled income trust? Basically, if your income is below, uh, you know above $900 a month, you're not eligible for Medicaid unless you can do a pooled income trust. If the person who's applying is not mentally competent, there are a lot of social workers and there are a lot of people in Medicaid says, well, your PAV attorney doesn't allow a pooled income trust. We're not going to... Um, we're not going to process your application because you're not going to be eligible because your income is too high. And, you know, it's not as easy. Some people think, well, can you talk to somebody? Can't you do something? Sometimes it's a very inflexible bureaucracy that's in place there. And that's why you need to get prepared. And and if you want to get prepared, come to see us at, at Connors and Sullivan. Uh, Justin's usually in the Brooklyn office, and sometimes occasionally he's in the Manhattan office. I haven't seen you in Queens in quite a while. No, and I've I've gotten a couple complaints about that. Um, mostly I've been here in the Brooklyn office, especially since we've kind of had a divide and conquer with uh, the pandemic. You know, we've, you know, social distance in our office to make clients feel more comfortable. And so we're designated certain attorneys to, you know, be out there. And so we've had a couple who have been staying out in the Queens area mostly. And then I'm Brooklyn and Staten Island and, and Manhattan for the most part. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, you can you can schedule an appointment with us. We're, Brooklyn is our main office, and that's where the military miniature collection is. So those of you, and yeah, every every week or so, is to somebody say, well, I'd like to see the military miniature collection. We don't have military miniature collections anymore in Queens or Staten Island or, or Manhattan. They're all in Brooklyn because we decided to consolidate since of COVID. So all the military miniatures that are on display are here in, in the Brooklyn office. So and Justin will give you, you know, if I'm not here, Justin will give you a detailed explanation of all the battles that are on display. Uh, just don't expect it to be very historically accurate. <laughs> I thought you were interested in history. I am very much interested in history. But as uh, there's a certain person in the office who uh, always lets me know that usually I get it wrong or backwards. Oh, who would say that to you? <laughs> I can't. I can't think of the person. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the War of 1812. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Again, uh, if, if you're, you've got an elderly relative who's thinking about home care Medicaid in New York, now is the time to act. And, and, and it goes against my grain to rush somebody into doing something. But the law could change. It probably will change January 1st. I shouldn't say probably. We don't know. Everything's in flux. But it's slated to change on January 1st. And if you want to get in a position to apply for home care Medicaid, do it before November 30th. So this way we can get the ball rolling. And on, if you need it, on January 1st, we can apply for home care Medicaid. Now we're going to take a short break. And then we're going to be listening to Father Paul, who's back and forth between the, the Middle East and New York. And, and for those of you who haven't heard Father Paul before, and I think Justin would agree, is one of the most remarkable uh, personalities that we've ever come across, either in our office, our radio show, or whatever. Yes, I mean, anytime you hear him speak, it's it's riveting and and very informative and um and frankly, uh you know, emotional. Like just because of uh, he just speaks from the heart. He's very sincere in what he does, and and he cares deeply. And he'll make you care deeply too about you know Christians in the Middle East and how often they're overlooked and forgotten. Sadly, yeah. So and if you hear the commercials on our show about St. Francis in Beirut, that's what we're talking about: Christians in the Middle East and they're being persecuted there. And it's it's not necessarily always just you know beheadings or things like that, which are horrible when they happen, 
but it's just like not being able to get a job, not being able to get proper medical care. And that's part of what he does. He gives proper medical care to those Christians in the Middle East who otherwise are not covered by Islamic law or Sharia law. So listen to Father Paul. If, if you want to contribute to his mission, we're going to have a commercial there. But thank you again for joining us at Ask the Lawyer. Thank you for having me. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. And, you know, we have our semi-regular friend here, Father Paul from Beirut. Welcome to the show, Father. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for having me, Mr. Connors and Beth and Michael, and to all our listeners. Uh, I hope you're all good and safe. 
Okay, now we do have some news to report. Uh, your not-for-profit has been approved by the IRS, so now if somebody makes a donation to your corporation, you get a tax deduction for it. Um, so th that's good news. And uh, again, some people don't realize, how, you know, if you write a check to a charitable organization, you get a tax deduction. It does help you on your income taxes. But let's get off taxes for uh, a few minutes. You know, I, I think a lot of people, you're, the name of your organization is St. Francis in Beirut. What is Beirut? That's a great question, Mr. Kano. So so Beirut to me is uh, my home. Uh, it's a very particular place to be, especially now. It's crossroads for so many Christians. Um, it's, a, it's a holy land. Uh, Jesus Christ was teaching around Beirut uh, in Saida and, and Tur. So uh, Beirut for me again, it's it's home. It's it's my mission. It's, it's the Christianity that I'm I'm learning from. Um, yes, as a physician or a Capuchin friar, people may think that you know we know a lot about theology and and spirituality, but after 20 years of being there, I've learned way more from from Christians from Lebanon, from Beirut than from any other Christian community in Europe I know. So Beirut for me, it's 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 a particular particular place to be, uh, for two reasons. Number one, it's to preserve Christianity, and number two, to provide any kind of help to keep Christians uh, in Beirut because that would be way easier for them just to run away and leave the country. But once we're gonna lose them, um, they will never be back because the Islamic um, government or or people who are actually against us, they will never let them in so to preserve christianity and to help christians that's these are two main um my main missions that i have so far and beirut it's very particular especially these days and after the explosion but um i i do i do understand that we don't know much about beirut these days so just let me know that there are plenty of christians over there and they're really looking for not just help medical or financial they're looking for hope and and i think what we are trying to do is to bring that hope to them like deliver to them now let me ask you something the history of christianity in lebanon beirut in particular maybe how long does how long does the history of christianity stretch back in, in lebanon oh i would say uh, 2000 years because jesus christ when he started his mission he was actually circulating around the lebanese territory back then and it was a part of the palestine and and the Roman occupation, so uh, two thousand years, and and they're all you know our cousins, our brothers and sisters. It's hard to it's hard to forget because if we know that these are our roots, these are our, our, our um, brothers and sisters. And and Lebanon, when I was going to high school, or whatever they taught me that Lebanon was a Christian country. Oh, absolutely! It's nineteen sixty eight. And also, that's why I, I truly, uh, what I'm trying to say today is that um, Beirut is important way more now than before because we, what we observe is that very dilapidated condition of the state, of the Lebanese state. But let's talk about people. Let's talk about Christians who are there. Let's talk about their families, their struggles. The state itself, it's a, it's, it's a very political concept. But uh, me as a Capuchin friar and a physician, what I what I try to convey uh, to our listeners and to people who are open to to listen to us is that 
Beirut is important because of the Christian roots, of the Christian traditions, of, of brothers and sisters who are struggling in Lebanon for years. Uh, it's not just about lack of electricity or lack of support or medication. Um, mentally, spiritually, Christians are suffering in Beirut. And 20 years ago, I thought it, it was already a miserable uh, place to be. But now I believe it's not a miserable place. It's a very challenging place to be. But once hope is with us, we, we can make it. It's just uh, Christians are way more important now because in, in Lebanon, what we see, we see that influx of, of so many strange Islamic teaching and, and, and operations where Christianity is kind of forgotten also by, by Christians in, in Europe, in, in America. And, and I think, um, especially our listen, uh, whoever is listening to us, uh, Christianity in Beirut, these are our roots, these are our traditions. Once we're going to lose them, our identity is gone as, as Christianity. Once we forget our cousins, brothers and sisters who taught us how to be brave within the Christ, Christ, uh, Christianity and within the Christian thoughts, once we're going to lose that, we're going to lose our identity. That's why I believe Beirut is way more important now than before, to keep and preserve Christian identity. Now, what what branch of Christianity is primarily present in, in Lebanon? So primarily Maronite, uh, right, which is from 11th, 12th century, from St. Maroon. And, uh, but they're all connected to Rome, and it's, it's a very interesting community of, of, I would say, saint people, because uh, through all these centuries they were, they were struggling, they were massacred. I think the Maronite churches, it's a very um, deep, uh, holy community of people who are telling us, hey, faith is important, don't forget us. And I think they're teaching us that every day. All right. Now, you, you earlier mentioned to the audience about an explosion in Beirut last August, a year ago, August. Um, some people know exactly what you're talking about. Some people are not. What were you talking about? And what were you doing the day of the explosion? So the day of the explosion, August 4th um, last year, so we were operating in our clinic that we've had for almost 20 years. Now, when you say you're operating, again, some people may not know you're a medical doctor. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, apologies. Yes, I'm, I'm a vascular surgeon. But I do any kind of surgeries over there, whatever is needed. And uh, so I was in the operating room with the patient and with our um, team, medical team, um, and when the explosion happened. So um, I ended up on a different side of the street with a kind of miserable condition. We've lost... We've lost our medical team as well. And um, so f the explosion actually showed us, because just to let you know, on that boat, all those explosive materials were located for six years. And, you know, if you know a little bit of physics, you know that with the humidity, with the, a bad condition of the boat, those explosive materials will explode one day. And that's what happened. What, what I try to kind of also to convey here is that someone decided to, to have that boat on the Christian part of Beirut, where the whole Christian area was just wiped out. If you see photos on Google, you can see that it, it's, it's a flat space now. There's nothing there. So someone was really telling us, you know, you are not welcome here. So for me, it was a, a very, um, very frustrating time, a lot of anger. Yes, if you're listening to us, yes, we can get angry, and it's it's all good. It's just what's what's bad about anger if that anger will guide you for the rest of your life. That's a bad thing. So I, I truly believe that, especially Beirut now, 
well, we have to understand that to preserve Christianity, to help Christians, we have to stand up together uh, on behalf of Christians from Beirut or from Lebanon. Because if we don't do this as a Christian community, who 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 will who will help them? And it's also interesting to 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 understand that everyone is helping everyone. I understand, but how many Christians really are helping other Christians? Why, let's say, the U.S. government, U.S. government help is is all about Israel and 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 even military equipment, everything is to help Israel. But if if we can have a one percent of what we are sending to them for the military purposes, if we can use it for help for Christian uh, families in, in in Lebanon, we would never have any issues uh, with with poverty, with lack of medications, with, with very poor access to electricity and water. So, all all of this show is showing us actually that. Uh, especially now we have to fight for Beirut and Christianity there because once they're gone, once they're gone, our identity is gone as well. And I try not to go uh, with that kind of notion in my in my mind. I keep my hope alive. When you say we have to fight for Christianity in Beirut, what do you mean? Well, uh, it's a very simple example. If you're a Christian and you're listening to us, stop... Um, kind of believing that it's going to be fine, everything will be fine. No, you have to kind of uh, express your faith outside. You have to tell people around you, yes, I'm Christian. Yes, I do believe that my values are important. Yes, I do believe that my faith is important. Don't try to hide your Christianity just because you think maybe socially it's going to be a different reaction. We don't have time now to analyze what's going to be a social reaction. Because when Jesus Christ was, was teaching and was walking around those villages, he didn't have any PR specialist with him. He was just telling people what went wrong and what can we do to fix it. So once you, you, you declare yourself as a Christian and you're going to tell your family members you're a Christian, yes, they will look at you maybe differently, but at least you know what your identity is. If we say, well, let's fight for Christians in Lebanon, if you know your identity as a Christian, you know what kind of identity of, of, of Christians we were looking for, um, faithful, uh, courageous with with that hope that Jesus Christ is bringing to us every single time we read the gospel. So, but you have to admit, you have to acknowledge that you want to be a Christian. You want to be recognized as a Christian, because that recognition is also important for Christians in Lebanon. The Western world, Christianity of uh, from the Western part of the world, they have always a hard time to recognize that Christians in the Middle East are suffering, or they're struggling. So for me, my mission was also to tell all my friends in, in Europe, in America, we have six million Christians in the Middle East. How much do we know them? How much do we know about them? So that's why when, when I say let's fight for Beirut and Christians in Lebanon, but first we have to acknowledge that we are Christian as a community and we want to tell our brothers and sisters in Lebanon that we are with them. But we have to know our identity. If, if we don't have it, we're going to be lost. Now, how did you get, how did you get, you, you were born in Poland, educated mm -hmm. in France. How do you get to Lebanon? Oh, um, so that's a very interesting uh, question. Um, so it was only for one year. I was supposed to go there just to to do some kind of um, humanitarian work. But once I discovered, while being there, I discovered that there is a lack of electricity, that especially Christians, they have no access to medical help, that a lot of Christian families, especially in, in, in those poor villages, they have no access to, to anything that Muslim communities are offering their own um, their own uh, people. So I got kind of frustrated that, you know, we didn't, we didn't even have a clinic to for Christian families to help them out. They were using uh, uh, different places that they had to pay for. 
So once I discovered this and I realized that something went wrong, I decided we have to create a clinic and Christian's family will not pay for any medical help. I will try to find some money outside of Lebanon and that's what we did for this last 20 years uh, through a lot of friends from Europe or America who helped us to keep that clinic uh, um, operating on a daily basis. But the idea of, of helping Christians was actually because I saw that they are not recognized, uh, that they are actually suffering because the help that they're actually looking for is not provided to them just because they're Christians. Their ID, it says on their ID, I'm Christian. So the job market is limited in the, in the same time. Imagine it's 21st century, once it's written you're Christian on your ID in Lebanon, you can't get a job. So how are you going to support your family? So all that I've learned in, 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 in 2000, when I was like, this is, you know, how much do we know about that stuff? I didn't know, and I'm supposed to know things. So I've learned a lot of uh, a lot of those stories, their, 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 their situations from Christians from Lebanon. But that was the idea. We have to do something for them because they're not, they're not uh, getting the support they should have. Even from, from Vatican, to be honest with you, I remember when I was asking, uh, um, you know, for some kind of help, it was always the budget is, is not fixed yet or it's too late or it's too early. So, you know, Christianity from the Middle East was always like, you know, uh, a forgotten community. But that was the idea when I saw that they're not really getting helped. Uh, I decided to organize that help and it's 20 years so far. Yes, we have to rebuild that clinic again, but uh, what's even more important because I'm flying tonight back to Beirut is that um, I have to restore their hopes first, their mental health, the idea that everything will be fine before I do anything uh, after. But I think just being with them and letting them know that they're not abandoned but that's how we help Christians because we know that you know our community is suffering. Um, what? And we hear about this every once in a while. But what's what's Hezbollah and what's its role in governing Lebanon? I would say we are we are actually um, we are prisoners of of that political system in Lebanon, where where their um, political expectations are all about their own. Um, Islamic communities and Muslim communities. It's not about Christians. It's not about um, having different religious communities in the same place. Um, I would say we are victim of, of the political system for so long because, uh, yes, they have money from Iran. Christian community, do they have money? No, they don't. They don't have money because people think that there are no Christians in the Middle East. And I said again, uh, six million people. So uh, Hezbollah is kind of keeping uh, all of us in that political trap and confusion that they will take care of everything, but they they don't really uh, they don't really um, think about Christian community. I give you an example after the explosion. I got a fine because the street was still with with stones with with uh, you know broken windows, and they they asked me to clean it up, and I was like, how do you want me to clean it up? I spent some time in the hospital, and we don't have fuel, we don't have electricity, but still they gave me a fine that shows you the 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 condition of the state. That you know they they do you think they gave that the same fine to to any mufti in a different part of Beirut? I don't think so. So we are all trapped with that system, unfortunately. But uh, I don't want to get political because I do believe that once we help. Even one single Christian family, it's already amazing. But how much do we know about that Christian family? What their struggles are, what their issues are? Because whoever is listening to us, if you suffer, 
you suffer within your own family surrounding. But the same concept is with Christianity in Lebanon. They suffer within their own families and circles, but they would love to let you know how much they suffer. You would love to share your pain sometimes, and I think it's totally legit. It's 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 absolutely important. If you share your pain, Christians in the Middle East they don't share their pain because they think they're already unrecognized, that they're already invisible. So my mission is to let everybody know that Christians from the Middle East they should be visible into our prayers, our thoughts, the way we we think about them. Now. You know, a lot of us really don't know anything about the politics in the Middle East. Why is Iran supporting Hezbollah? Because Iran would like to have a, um, Iran number two in Lebanon. And, and, you know, imagine a Christian country in the middle of the Middle East. Uh, so it's a target. It's a perfect target. And once you're a Christian, one, once you're a declared Christian, you're going to be a target anyway. We remember what happened to after Arab Spring, you know, people thought, wow, democracy, everything will be fine. That was a perfect time for for uh, for um, for radicals to actually uh, attack Christians. Uh, what we see in in a, in the civil war in Syria, 1.5, uh, 1.5 uh, people are in, in Lebanon. Most of them are Christians. Chaldeans. So, so we have to kind of admit that uh, there is a political agenda for for Iran to just erase Christianity from from Lebanon, so they can take over the entire land and just pretend that everything is fine now. But once we're gonna lose our, our brothers and sisters over this because we do not help them, it's gonna be our fault. It's gonna be on our our kind of I would say uh, conscious that we've lost them because we do we did absolutely nothing to help them. Now, who helps Syria? Who who's backing the Syrian government right now? Oh, Russia, of course, Russia and China. If you see the UN, the UN memorandum, which is all about, you know, um, no one wants to take out, you know, the president of Syria or just change or do elections. No, because they're all covered and protected by Russia and China. So nothing's going to change uh, in Syria. If you have two great powers. Uh, supporting you, you know, the UN is kind of in a miserable uh, situation right now. And, you know, look, everyone was talking about Syria, but how many times they've had any memorandum about Lebanon? Zero. Even now, the whole, uh, the explosion happened last year, August the 4th. The commission that's supposed to investigate what went wrong, last week the Lebanese government decided to to, uh, close the whole investigation because they said there was nobody's fault. Last week. Do we do we know about? It? Do we talk about it? No, because you know, f- for many people, Lebanon is a small, it's a small country. Why bother? But I think it doesn't matter if it's a small or big country. People are suffering over there, not only from from religious or political issues, but mentally because the situation is is just crazy. Before I had three or four or five hours of electricity. Now I have thirty minutes. What kind of life are you gonna have with this? So I also, you know, whoever's listening to us. When you pray for somebody, if you can just once per week to pray for Christians from the Middle East, because they would love to know that they are recognized by you, whoever you are, that they are in your prayers, in your thoughts. If you have a dinner, talk about your, with your friends about Christianity in the Middle East, because that's how we get connected. That's how we think that they're not abandoned. That that's why we believe that you know even talking about Christians and Christianity it's important to us, in, in from a different you know Western world perspective. So uh, I do. Uh, I'm asking you. Uh, help is important, but just keep all of us 
all Christians from the from the Middle East in your prayers because we have to have that connection that we don't have so far, sadly. But I'm sure one day we'll we'll reconnect with them. And let me ask you something. Okay, you know you're raising money to help your your mission mm. in the Middle East. Uh, I don't think this is. You know, a lot of charities they have CEOs that make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, mm. and more money gets to paid to the CEO mm. or the chief operating officer mm. than goes to the charity. Mm. What kind of salaries do you have in, in your budget? How much do you get paid? Oh, zero. <laughs> but that was always like that for 20 years, and I'm totally fine with it. You know, um, I'm not good with titles. So um, what I know, once once we, we've got that idea, thanks to you, uh, about the nonprofit organization, uh, I didn't even know, you know, how fast it's going to work. Now we are recognized by IRS. We can really do excellent work. But I would pull aside all those titles and salaries because I don't need them. What are we going to do with this? Look, last year I ended up on a different side of the street for, for, for quite some time in a military hospital. So what I'm going to do with those titles? I do have my own titles. I have MD, I have PhD, I have a copyright title. My bathroom is decorated. The wall is with all those diplomas I have. But um, the only thing I want from San Francisco in Beirut nonprofit is that we can help people on a daily basis. I'm going there tonight. D do you think they care about my title? No. They already know that in my luggage I have a lot of Advil and Advil PM and medications because that's the only way to bring any medications to them. So I, I don't think that titles or salaries are important for me. It never, it never was a case anyway for 20 years. I would I would easily have a, a, a amazing life in in America as a physician or in Europe, but that was never my cup of tea. And I truly believe I do have a sense of humor as well. That you know, um, I was smart twenty years ago, but now my brain is circulating differently. So, <laughs> but I still love what I'm doing, and a, a, a combination of being a capuchin friar but also a physician and and humanitarian. I mean, why not? I don't need a salary for 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 this. You know, I can have. A, uh, simple life and I'm fine with it and, and I think for my Christians uh, families in, in Lebanon they know me for so long I baptize them I marry them uh, I mean uh, weddings and everything they've, they've never seen me asking for for titles or salaries so that's that's I think it's a good thing from my end I was never obsessed with I don't know in 20 years from now but so far so good <laughs> all right well you know you bring up something again somebody you know we're on a uh, new people are joining us every week. And what is a Capuchin friar? Um, because you mentioned that, obviously, you know, followers of St. Francis, I shouldn't say obviously, but yeah. But what, what is a Capuchin friar? What does it mean to you? What is it? Oh, what is it? great question, Mr. Connors. I, I would say there's a synonym of a Capuchin friar, and, and the synonym is a rebel, which means you have to say enough is enough. And, um, and Francis, what St. Francis from Assisi, he was the very first rebel to say there's something wrong uh, uh, with us, that we forgot the gospel, we forgot to to realize that, you know, uh, we have to support each other, that we have to tell people more about hope than despair. And and I think being a Capuchin friar is, is the way of, of being a rebel, to say enough to any nonsense that we are listening to uh, around us on a daily basis. You, you know, I... I, sometimes I, I meet people and some of them are very fluent in nonsense, but I can also smell it from far. Uh, so I can kind of deal with that nonsense for maybe two minutes and, and after, you know, my patience is over, 
and I'm usually being sarcastic because I, I do believe we don't have time to waste uh, for nonsense. So Capuchin Friars is a rebel, is someone who, who wants to use the gospel as a wake-up call, not as a weapon, but as a wake-up call. So we can realize for one more time that we don't have much time. But if you can help one person today or tomorrow, don't wait till next Sunday. Just help that person right away because you don't know where you're going to be with your life. I didn't know what's going to happen to me last year. So so debating or analyzing, oh, I'm going to help someone. Christmas is coming, so maybe around December. Maybe you're not going to be alive by December. I'm not going to be alive. We don't know that. So uh, a capuchin fire is someone who's not debating about time frame. It's doing someone in a very productive way at any time, at any moment. But a rebel, I would say it's a perfect synonym. And a thief. Yeah, I was saying that because in a, in a good way, we, we try to steal p people despair and sadness and give them hope um, for a change. So, so yeah, I would say rebel and a thief, but in a good way. So please do not call the Vatican. <laughs> yes. I don't think I might be listening. Oh, you never know these days, yeah. especially when I was always upset that, you know, any help was sent out to some different, you know, organizations and, and our clinic was never supported by by them. It's kind of interesting to realize. But, you know, I try to keep my hope alive. And, and also what I discovered that once it's God's plan, God's plan, it, it's going to be okay. It's just, it took me some time to understand uh, that sometimes you just have to let it go. Um, uh, you just have to be patient with certain things. And who knew? We, we've met like what five, six years ago, Mr. Connors and Beth. More than that. Yeah. So who knew that we're gonna have a nonprofit after? Who knew <laughs> that we're gonna we're gonna survive together for quite some time? And and remember, we've met on the boat in an interesting place. <laughs> but this is something that maybe we can discuss uh, uh, another time. But what I believe in is that hope has a meaning, which means it's happening now. Hope is not something that we, we analyze for the future. Hope is about today. So whoever is listening to us, if you wake up and you're upset, walk around your room, have a sip of coffee or tea or water, and since you woke up already, you're alive. That's hope. Once you can you can have your own coffee or tea, that's hope because you can you can have it. Once you can open the window and see what's going on around around you, that's hope. It's never about the, the future. It's about the day that we live in. So I wish you all that hope on a daily basis because we need it, especially these days. And as you know, whoever is listening to us, your country freaks me out <laughs> for many different reasons, which is a different talk we're going to have with Mr. Connors one day. But just to let you know, keep your hope alive on a daily basis. And if you can help someone today, at, let's say at 5 p.m., please do so. Don't wait till December. We don't know where you're going to be in December. All right. Well, Father, thank you for joining us. Uh, where can people learn more about your mission? And I mean, we're just really getting started to then we'll, we'll try to make some more progress over the next few months between now and the end of the year. But where can somebody learn more about you today and your mission? So I think the, the easiest way will be, of course, um, Internet will be, of course, uh, some information on uh, on social media. But also, if you if you want to help us, there's one thing I have to say. Don't help us just because we know where you live. Yeah. Help us because you want. Don't help us just because you're afraid that if you don't help, uh, you know, Christians in the Middle East, Father Paul will track you down. No, help us only if you want. And and I believe that if one day you're gonna 
you're gonna uh, help us for, for to keep uh, and maintain our Christianity in the Middle East that would be great but nothing by force yes we do know where you live yes we do, we do know how to find you but um, you can you can read about our activities uh, in the internet you can also ask questions here um, I'll be back soon so we can have another talk but uh, um, most of our activities are, are, are somewhere in, in those social media platforms uh, but also you can email me uh, or Mr. Connors um, in his uh, in his capacities he can also answer questions and once again if you if you if you want to help us send Francis in Beirut you can send also or, or your help to, to Mr. Connors office here or to Stanton Street 213 Stanton Street which is the friary I'm staying with uh, but again nothing by force it, it has to be your free choice and listen, one of the things I really would like to thank a lot of the listeners out there for some, some of you, the generous contributions you've made, you know, over the last couple of years since we started to get involved. And and, and I can tell you right now, a, a lot of the people out there that listen to our show, they're very interested in your mission, Father. And I, I think you could probably feel it, but there are a lot of prayers out there. Oh, that's why I'm alive. Yes, that's why I'm still alive, and and I'll be alive for quite some time. Apparently, I do have that discussion with God uh, every morning. Um, so every time He sees me, it's like here again, this one. But I don't give up so easily. And yes, I'm very grateful for for all your help. And as you remember, we've been we've been helping Christians with generators. We've been helping Christians with baby incubators. We've been helping people uh, Christians with medical equipment. So your help was was absolutely uh, absolutely precious and recognized. And I really really appreciate that. And um, maybe one day, yes, if if we'll have a chance to meet up, you know, in person. Uh, that would be great, but I really, really appreciate every single help. But also, I, I'm very grateful uh, to you, Mr. Connors and Beth and Michael, because thanks to you, that nonprofit organization is actually uh, in existence now, and we are recognized by IRS. Uh, so you've been always very, you know, supportive and and pain, uh, you know, uh, patient with me because uh, I'm, I'm not an easygoing guy. I always have my crazy ideas <laughs> as a rebel. <laughs> so I do appreciate that. So uh, I'm, I'm, I was smart 20 years ago, but these days what I know is it's to keep the hope alive. So let's go for it. All right, Father Paul, keep the hope alive. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and have a, a blessed time, whoever is listening to us. You have no idea how thankful we are for the work you do. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate that. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. Because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it. 
to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home. But if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. And my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Now, Father Paul was flying out that night to Egypt and going over to Lebanon, but since then, Michael, you heard about a new story that happened over in Lebanon? Yeah, and you know, it's unfortunate that we don't have better international news here in the States because this is, this is one of those things, you know, if you've, if you've been following what happened in Lebanon after that horrible explosion in August of last year, um, there, there are a lot of people who have been pointing out that that explosion happened in the Christian region of the city of Beirut. And it's been, it, it's been widely hypothesized that some of the negligence, while it may not have been a terrorist attack or anything like that, some of the negligence may have been deliberate with the explosives that were stored on that ship. And recently there were demonstrations in Lebanon to essentially to remove one of the high court judges who was investigating the matter because of suspected corruption. And during those demonstrations, there was gunfire, and several people were, who were demonstrating were killed. And I cannot, while, while I don't know for certain, and it's very hard to get the full story, I cannot imagine that Hezbollah was not involved in some way, shape, or form in what happened over there. I'm going to have to email Father Paul and ask him about it, but we'll update you on that as we can. Yeah, now my understanding is Father Paul is expecting to come back into the States on November 9th. His schedule could always change depending on emergencies. And that's one of the things that, you know, like sometimes we'll say Father Paul will be back on a certain date. And people ask me, well, is Father Paul back? And he's not because circumstances have changed. Every day circumstances change. And he's he's got a parish and a hospital clinic to worry about over there. And if if some people are wounded from that attack, he may be there longer. So we we got to keep in our prayers he needs money to run his mission. He doesn't really need a lot of money. I mean, if you see the budget, it's it's next to nothing. But he doesn't have any funding help from the Vatican or anywhere else. We're going to try to work on that. He's got a couple of things going to, to help us in St. Francis and Beirut. But please keep Father Paul in your prayers. We'll let you know when he comes back. And, and maybe we have to schedule some fundraiser for him because I know a lot of you are asking me, you know, what are we doing in we just got the not-for-profit approved, so Father Paul's on his way. He's got some business ideas going, and let's let's give him our prayers in the meanwhile, and hopefully we'll see him. We'll have him back on the show sometime in November. But thank you again. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, company my mom, I bet. Bye-bye, everybody, and my thank son. you for your prayers. And my son, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us, as always.
sing this song away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this song away. We are gathered. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this song away. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.